Hello and welcome to another edition of Trinity College Dublin Talks. I'm Tom Malloy and with me today are Luke Lau and Daniel Cosgrove. They're the creators of Minim, a new music streaming service which aims to fix the streaming industry for independent musicians. Luke received his master's in computer science with a specialization in type theory and Daniel got a BA in computer science and is a part-time independent musician and previously worked in founding a donation service for charities. Well, uh, Luke and Daniel, welcome, first of all. Oh, thank you for having us. Great yeah. to be here. Well, let, let, let's, start at the, let's start at the beginning. You, you, you met in Trinity, kind of discovered yeah. shared interest in music. How, how did you actually meet? Like, what was, what was, how was it that you met for the first time? Um, uh, I mean, we were both in the same course, so, you know, I think we kind of knew each other from day one. But I always think the funnier story is that, well, I had known Daniel for, for maybe three years. I, yeah, I think I was in third year of computer science at the time. And, you know, I just knew Daniel as, oh, he's a guy in my computer science course. But I didn't really realize that he was as into music as, you know, what he actually is until I just remember one day sitting down beside him in a lecture and he just kind of like nudges me on the shoulder and says, oh, hey, I wrote a musical for players. Do you want to come join? I was like, wait, what? You're like into that type of stuff? And I think that's kind of, you know, around that time is where we realized that we had that common interest. And I guess that's whenever we kind of started, you know, guess kind of more working with each other and you know, bouncing ideas off of each other. And Daniel, what 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 made you think that Luke might be interested in um, you know in in going to your your music? <laughs> I don't know. I generally you know at that point I was keeping yeah, I don't know the sort of two things separate for some reason because I don't know you know the player society is great for kind of just experimenting and trying out new things. We should and, say for know, players it's a kind of the amateur drama society in Trinity. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Cool. I really, I think, yeah, it was third year that I got involved with them. So that's on, that sounds good checks out, Luke, that I would have been just getting into that around then. Um, yeah. I think Luke, I don't know, my first memory of meeting Luke actually, I think was probably in first year. And I think I remember um, one of our friends saying that you should do a comedy show or something. <laughs> I think, just think, yeah. I guess yeah, that gave me an idea that you were uh, <laughs> at the arts. Yeah, no, that that was a, a wild musical though. I think it was called Laugh.exe. If anyone out there mm. uh, mm -hmm. from the small 30 or so attendee list uh, remembers it, that was a, a wild musical. And I guess it was pretty on brand for Daniel at the time. I think I remember it was roughly like a comedy musical that was loosely based around artificial intelligence, like taking over the world or something like that, which coincidentally uh, happened to you know, coincide with his specialization in artificial intelligence for his dissertation. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was just throwing together everything that was in my head at the time because I was. It, it, I, it, I think I signed up to do this to put this play in, and I was also like, uh, you know, working on the specialization stuff. But um, yeah, I think I used some like facial recognition in the play, you know, because. Oh, sorry, you're saying something, Tom? I was just gonna say you're talking about this time as if it were eons ago. I mean, what what year are we talking? <laughs> it feels like eons ago after COVID. You know, it's like time has yeah. sort of blended. But no, it wasn't even that long ago. It would have been like twenty. 18, 2019. Nice to see you. That's you, you've graduated. You know, just so people know, relatively recently from Trinity, just a couple of years ago. Uh, and and is that is that common? This kind of what what's now called STEAM, the kind of mixing mixing of STEM and and the arts. Is that something that you kind of encountered in Trinity a lot, or were you quite unusual to be this interested in music and doing computer science? Um, I'm not sure. I I know that. Um, I think my first my first job out of college was uh, in a sort of the video games industry, using a sort of it was an AI 
based company for computer graphics. So I feel like I got involved in that, but I'm not sure, Luke, what's your impression of like the rest of our class? I mean, um, like I, I can't speak about the rest of our class, but I know that, yeah, there, there definitely is that blend and it's specifically in Trinity. I mean, if you look at the science gallery, that was pretty much the, mm. the pinnacle and the, the ultimate marriage of STEM and arts, right? Um, mm. It was incredibly, um, brilliant um i'm kind of sad to see it go um i did hear about its kind of closure recently but um yeah i i, I do think yeah like at least in trinity there is definitely that um i wouldn't say the emphasis so much in the actual you know curriculum but definitely the interest amongst the student body and i guess the people working there mm -hmm. and i suppose the opportunity that, that things like players do exist. Tell me, Luke, just as a matter of interest, you know, I said in the intro kind of rather casually that you had a specialization in type theory, but but what is type theory? <laughs> it's nothing relevant to what I'm doing today, that's uh, for sure, which is kind of the funny thing, right? Um, I, you know, I, I always kind of just assumed my entire time, like going through, uh, you know, my, my degree in computer science, that I, you know, I kind of honed in on this area of type theory, which is this um, very niche, branch of mathematics, which has some uh, applications when making programming languages and the development of them. But you know, it was a very niche kind of uh, research topic. And you know, don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved it, but it's it's so far-fetched from what I actually ended up doing. Um, I just, yeah, remember whenever the pandemic first hit, right? And uh, I was just finishing up my master's dissertation uh, whenever, uh, you know, the, the first kind of case arrived in Ireland and whenever all that kicked off and just as I was kind of writing, I remember spending my days in my bedroom, you know, and when this is back, whenever we had like a pretty much total isolation, you know, writing all this type theory stuff. And I was just kind of thinking, well, my degrees almost come to an end. I'm going to have this very specific knowledge of this very niche kind of academic, uh, you know, field of research. And um, presumably that's what I'm going to get into. But um, I, I don't really know. What happened it wasn't that i was like scared of kind of going into academia or i wasn't like scared of that oh i'm gonna have to get like very specific um engineering role um i think yeah what i ended up doing just um you know a minimum with daniel it's not that technological which is kind of the funny thing right um you know we're really not a technology um you know company or startup or whatever you want to call it that way right and um, the problem that we're solving is very much kind of more as you said more to do within the art sector and definitely probably more economical more than anything else um so it's just kind of funny that, that yeah like <laughs> it my research never really directly correlated over to it but i mean i guess you know the the, the whole uh, degree and the time spent in trinity learning computer science it does kind of prepare you for learning which i think is the most important thing and um, because uh you know daniel and myself, we came into doing Minim uh, without any experience in the music industry whatsoever. And you know, if there's one thing that computer science teaches you is how to Google stuff. And I think that's what we're pretty good at, right? Is we really just uh, kind of taught ourselves the ropes or at least learned how to learn from other people. Um, you know, what we needed to kind of do, um, you know, what we should be doing um, in terms of Minim from like a music industry perspective. We'll just jump in here because we, we've 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 jumped ahead a little bit, and we should explain to listeners that that you have created a, a company that essentially tries to be, and forgive me for the the, the crude generalisation, a fair version of Spotify. 
yeah. Well, you know, but we'll. So that's what minimum is. So everybody, everybody knows. But let's let's come back, if you don't mind, just to, um, you know, so you you're in Trinity, you've met in third year, you you realise you both have this uh, shared interest in in music, uh, but then you graduate, and one of you goes into AI, um. But what what else happens? What 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 was life like after graduation? What year did you graduate? Was it during the pandemic or was it before the pandemic? Or so I mean, I graduated a year before Luke because uh, Luke did the masters. So I I feel like pretty lucky that I got a bit of like you know work experience just before lockdown started happening. But uh, I think it was only like three or four months that I was actually in the office whenever like lockdown struck, and then you know it just felt like the whole rest of the time was spent working from home and obviously you know going through. And what oh, were you? Stuff. Sorry. What What were you doing when you when you graduated? What 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 job did you take um, up? Well, actually, right after I graduated, there's. Uh, do you know the Tangent Entrepreneurship School? Yeah. This is in yeah. Trinity College. This is a, a school that, that, that basically helps graduates of all disciplines to to develop businesses. So you you went there. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of lucky actually. I got into that with a bit of a social entrepreneurship idea that I had for um, donations. For, uh, for charities and I got to work on that for three months with a team that was really fun and like Luke was saying that actually taught me a lot about uh, you know just doing market research and things like that you know I um, didn't know a ton about business or anything before that but it was definitely like a kind of three-month boot camp uh, in that um, and then through that so I had, kind of sorry you had, you had this idea that you wanted to create a, a platform to to what to enable donations to charities or yeah, yeah it was um it, we we actually developed the idea a lot when we were working on the thing because uh, on the project because we just met you know it gave us a bit of breathing space to go and actually talk with charities and see like what would be useful which is actually kind of similar to what we ended up doing in Minim like because we didn't know anything about the music industry we ended up chatting with a lot of musicians with this thing I was chatting with a lot of people in you know Saint Vincent de Paul and different places uh, just to see what might work because I had my idea which was you know that people could. Uh, donate to individuals on the, on the street and things like that with an app. But it turned out they didn't think that would be a great idea. But it ended up being a, a website. Uh, for, for various reasons, they thought that wouldn't be a good idea. But we ended up making this kind of website where company or charities could put up an individual profile for uh, a sort of individual person experiencing homelessness and uh, they could donate. Or, you know, people can donate to buy certain items for them that they would need. Um, and how did that work yeah. out for you? That, did that succeed or was it... A good idea that, that couldn't find a market or i think it was a a good idea that uh yeah the team wasn't quite willing to bring off the ground at the time because we were all you know graduated and willing that we you know might actually need some work experience uh so i think yeah we might go back to that eventually um there, there were two other people that i was working on it with who were really great people but uh yeah, yeah i think we, we all sort of were graduating around that time so then i, I moved into a different company I think it's kind of yeah go ahead luke yeah. I think, yeah, just want to butt in here and just say, I think it's kind of interesting though, right? Because, um, you know, after I, uh, you know, submitted my dissertation and, you know, started thinking of what to do next, I kind of ran into a parallel with Daniel, right? So um, the first iteration of Minim, right? Was it actually called Minim? And um, it was also this uh, kind of like donations platform that, uh, you know, I'd set up just during the pandemic right um, to allow people to uh, more easily donate to musicians um, during the pandemic you know whenever the, all the gigs were cancelled right but uh, you know ultimately that didn't end up working right and you know Minim is kind of the result of the learnings from both Daniel's uh, you know previous venture and uh, this earlier version of 
minimum. And it's just kind of funny that, you know, the, the key takeaway here was that like sometimes philanthropy is actually incredibly hard to sound. Sometimes philanthropy isn't, uh, you know, it can't always fix the underlying problem. And I think that's kind of where minimum gets at, right? You know, the initial kind of thing that we had both set out to build, right, was, you know, kind of almost putting a plaster over these deeper economic issues by allowing people to donate to um, causes, if you want to call them that, you know, donating to musicians or donating to the vulnerable. And ultimately, what we've ended up doing with Minima saying, well, let's kind of like take a step back. And, you know, what we learned from that is that sometimes these problems just need to be tackled at the root, which is the evolution of what we got to today. I understand it, Luke, you know, during the pandemic, live gigs were cancelled and, and you became concerned that uh, that that artists just couldn't couldn't make any money, and you set up this donation service. But what you realised was that even when the pandemic's gone, there's still a problem, and the problem is that Spotify and and Apple. We won't just pick on Spotify, although they are the brand leader. Um, you know, they're, they're not paying people. It's not so much they're not paying them properly. They're not they're not very useful for for smaller bands, for more alternative bands. Is that is that right? Or, yeah, that, um, you know, it, it is kind of like a, a, a problem that's a bit more deeply rooted. Um, you know, donations kind of are, are one way of providing a stream of revenue for these artists. But, you know, that's kind of just, you're just kind of donating to these musicians because the major platforms in which they distribute their music doesn't pay them correctly or properly in the first place, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's... Um, yeah, I guess where we arrived at minimum. You know, it's kind of funny. I wouldn't even say sometimes that it's not necessarily that, you know, Spotify or Apple Music or Tidal isn't paying them fairly. It's the whole kind of underlying model behind it is what we kind of realized was um, it was kind of broken. It wasn't that, you know, they're taking way too high of a cut. And, and, you know, some platforms do take quite outrageous cuts, but, you know, Spotify takes like a 30% cut. That was a bit of a shock to me. I mean, I thought it would have been higher, um, but it, it's really... You know, the more and more we looked into this, the more we kind of started peeling back the layers and just uh, kind of getting deeper to the root cause of the problem, which we just fundamentally have kind of arrived at the answer that it's because people are paying too little for music. And that's the kind of the, the gist of why it's unfair, because people are only paying 10 euro a month or whatever for virtually all the music they can listen to in the world. So this is kind of an interesting argument, isn't it? Because it's the same argument people use about meat and other things, isn't it? That, that <clears throat> things are just too cheap these days. <clears throat> Although, of course, rampant inflation is is uh, is something that, that makes people <laughs> concerned as well. But but yeah, some things have become much much cheaper over the last twenty years, and some things have become much much more expensive. And and music is. Do you have any kind of feel for that? Do you know what a, let's say a twenty five year old might have spent as a proportion of their income might have spent on music records you know 30 years ago compared with today because it's probably people probably spend a lot more back in back in the day yeah and i guess that's kind of funny right because we like you know daniel and i are born in the wrong generation to really answer that right we grew up with uh maybe limewire whenever we were like mm. teenagers and you know like youtube like having like you know all the music available for free and then, you know yeah right it's kind of I mean, I do remember buying CDs as a kid, but this is like, you know, when I was 10 years old, pretty much as, you know, since I went to secondary school, like, I, I can't really remember buying physical music. And, you know, I, I that's where 
people were spending more money, right? It was with those like physical releases and stuff. And with the advent of streaming, it's become kind of weird to think of paying to like listen to stuff by. Um, you know, if I you, like, I don't know anyone that really buys music anymore, with the exception of vinyl, which is kind of interesting. But in terms of digital downloads, like if someone buys like an album on the iTunes store, you're kind of just thinking to them, like, you know, like why did they do that? They can already get it for free, and all of a sudden. You know, purchasing music now becomes more of like a, a token gesture. Kind of, it, it's not so much to own the music as much as it is to support the artists. And I think that's what Daniel and I kind of find out. As you know, we, we're music fans ourselves, and we like supporting artists, right? We buy stuff off of Bandcamp, but you know, what we ultimately realized was that we're not buying the music off of Bandcamp to listen to it. We're buying it off of Bandcamp to kind of like support the artists. Um, yeah, we're doing this almost like a a donation in a sense. And that's kind of when we realized that there are people out there that want to support the artists. And this is where you kind of stepped in and this is where, where you developed minimum. So, so how, how are you different to um, to the big streamers and what, what, what is the kind of the fundamental difference here? I would say the fundamental difference is the sort of payment model that we've managed to arrive at, which it's actually kind of interesting that Luke it has a name in the industry, it turns out, but I think Luke and I uh, were just thinking, you know, what makes sense uh, in terms of fairness. And we just thought that that would be, you know, your subscription, say you pay a fiver or a tenner a month, that just goes proportionally to the artist that you listen to. So if you listen to uh, artists A, 60% of your time in a month, if 60% of your streams go to them, then 60% of your subscription goes to that artist as well. Um, and that is the way that we work. Um, uh, it turns out that that is called something called the user-centric model in the industry, which a few other like big players have been kind of testing out, but it seems like they're not really able to get it fully working for various reasons. Um, it's very logical, but tell us how 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 the big streamers work. You know, what, what's the difference in how, how do yeah. they? Pay? That's another thing. Oh, sorry, go on. Obviously, people do earn money from Spotify, albeit you know they often complain it's not enough. But how 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 does it work with? Uh, let's just stick with Spotify. Yeah, that's the thing that's it kind of shocked me because I mean, before going into Minim, I guess I didn't really think about how it worked. I just, you know, mm. kind of paid. I like, I, you know, I did have a Spotify subscription and I just paid my tenner a month and was just like, all right, I have this music. It turns out that, um, you know, if you're mostly listening to independent artists on Spotify, a lot of your subscription money could actually be going to, you know, not the people that you're listening to, but just the top artists. And I think that's because the way that it works on Spotify is. We pay like, or they pay a flat rate per stream to every artist. Uh, look, I think you can, you know, a bit more about exactly how it works, but they basically pull the money per market and distribute it out based on how many streams you got. And the, the effect that, that has is that a lot of user subscription money is siphoned off to people that they're not even listening to. Uh, yeah, I'd go a step further and say it's the vast, vast majority of your tenure a month doesn't actually go to any of the artists that you've listened to because it is paper stream and typically you know um, with the music that you listen to if you're listening to independent artists right on spotify you know they might get like a thousand or ten thousand streams that is a drop in the bucket compared to the you know one billion plus streams that will go mm -hmm. to the major record labels and to the major artists so uh yeah it, the the vast majority like maybe i don't know three cents of your subscription might actually go towards the royalties of and uh, the artists that just you listen to on um you know on Spotify, if you do have a listening habit like us. And I think what's interesting is that, um, you know, uh, as you rightly said, there are artists that make money off of Spotify. And, you know, that, that's a good thing. 
um, you know, we're, we're not complaining about that. Um, it, it's good to see that, you know, there is a certain threshold at which in your career as an artist on Spotify or Apple Music or Tidal, that once you get that critical mass of plays, you're able to actually start pulling in, you know, more listeners and you're able to actually get decent loyalties and revenue from that, which is good. But the problem is just that it is so incredibly difficult to reach that status. I, I think it's called something like the 17,000 club or whatever. I think it's like the top 17,000 artists on Spotify are in like, I don't know, like $15,000 a year or something. But, um, you know, the, the actual statistic is that the bottom 99% of artists on Spotify, they only earn on average $26 a year. And that's very much, um, you know, they're, they're, they're like the forgotten 99% of artists on Spotify. Yeah. That's who we're trying to solve the problem for. Um, we're not saying that it's unfair that some artists make like, you know, $100,000 on Spotify every year. Like, you know, that's good that they're being recognized for their work. But it's just the fact that the way the streaming model and uh, specifically the major streaming providers models work out is that it inherently values music by how popular it is and by how many streams it gets, which is interesting because you think about, you know, physical music sales, right? You go out to buy an album or you go out to buy a CD. Um, you know, it, you don't really know how many times that you played that, right? Um, you know, and people still need to kind of purchase it regardless of how niche it is. But now all of a sudden, if you're just listening to popular music, you know, that's it's going to generate the plays. And it almost becomes kind of like a, a strategy that some artists employ that they want to release as accessible music as possible so that it can get more listeners and attract in a wider audience, um, you know, to ultimately, you know, generate more revenue. Which is so always again, kind of this is a... A global trend really isn't it that that the four or five most successful soccer players in the world uh are known by everybody aren't they whereas in the past they would have just been famous at a national level and uh, uh yeah very few people can earn absolutely vast amounts thanks to technology and, and nothing is more technological than something like a streaming platform so you're you're, you're trying to even the playing field back in in favor of the little the little man and little woman the kind of the independent I was, how did you go about actually, how do you do this? Because you've got a lot of complicated things here. You're taking on an uh, extremely kind of complex industry. Uh, you're dealing with a lot of uh, independent bands who are probably, some of them not very commercial, not very interested in technology. Uh, you've got to persuade the public to to sign up to you. And then you've got to create the, the, the platform. Now, you had the, the technological chops, I presume, to, to create the platform. <laughs> But the other bits are pretty hard for two two young men to kind of learn uh, in a hurry. How did you kind of, uh, well, what did yeah. you do after setting up, building the platform and coding, you know, doing the coding? What, 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 was, it, what was the next step? Yeah, well, that's the beautiful thing about it, right, is that um, Daniel and I are not music industry people at all. Um, we really just took the mindset of that, well, it's kind of strange that, this platform doesn't already exist. And if there is the reason why it doesn't exist already, then we'll find out as to, you know, what the reason is, like what's the fatal flaw with our plan. And, um, but yeah, it's like, we're like, you know, we, we have the technological stuff, as we said, to make such a thing. And, you know, that's the only real thing that we can provide. So um, we, we are kind of strategy has just been to learn off of 
the artists, the bands themselves to, to listen to, um, really just try and understand and kind of build it alongside them. Because I think that's something that, you know, we recognize and are 100% aware of that, you know, we are, we can't, we don't have any of these experiences ourselves. Like we've never really, uh, you know, made money off of Spotify or anything like that. We don't really understand the problems that those artists face. So what the best we can do is just to learn off of them. And that, yeah, I guess it is a bit of a gung-ho approach that we are just really throwing paint at the wall, this idea of, oh, what if you need a streaming service like this? We're just throwing it at the wall and seeing if it will stick. Many people, but, many people have had a good idea, I think. The prob the difference is you had a good idea and then you acted on it uh, out exactly. of, kind of a mixture of conviction. Yeah. But what was the next step? Like, did you, was it to recruit musicians? Was it to recruit subscriptions? Was it to, because they must go lock, hand in hand in a way. You can't get subscribers under your musicians and you can't really get musicians under yeah. your subscribers. I think we made like, like a basic prototype of the website, um, which was a lot more rough <laughs> than it is right now. And then it literally involved, you know, certain instances of running down or chasing musicians who were like cycling past us on Nassau Street and <laughs> just asking them questions. Like we, I think we just got into the mindset of, you know, we just need to ask these people as much as possible. So I mean, to learn from them and like what they what they think they need, or because you know, like Luke was saying, we assume they understand the music industry. Uh, a lot yeah. more than we do and that turned out to be true because and they, as well as that you know they were just so helpful like we we got so much uh time from these people who really understood or you know had a better idea than us of what the approach uh that was needed was so i don't know it was just a lot of kind of cold calling artists then getting back to us and just chatting with them for hours on end to learn yeah. a little bit more about whether we were on the right track. Yeah, but in terms of, yeah, actually getting, like we had that kind of critical mass number people are using. I think that's kind of interesting that um, but the next step was that we really didn't have a next step, right? I mean, Daniel and I are quite the pragmatists. We just set out to build the thing. And I remember the website never had any like preview code thing, right? You know, whenever we were just like building it and testing it out, like doing a beta test, anyone could just jump on the website. So we never really formally launched, right? The the artists and the musicians and the listeners came to us, okay. uh, which was we thought was quite. Uh, it took us by surprise, truth be told. Yeah. Like uh, I remember just one day, I think it was January. Um, I was just out in town. And I was like asking Daniel, like, "Oh, did you like get any like family relatives or whatever to subscribe?" Like, I think we got like you know a couple subscribers, and then was like, "No, oh, I don't think I like reached out to anyone or mentioned it to them." Um, but what had happened was just that, like. Uh, some uh is it mike mcgrath um mm -hmm. so this journalist had just kind of stumbled across the website because another band had tweeted about it um, and this all went under our noses and uh he like tweeted about it got quite a few retweets and it just kind of like went on from there uh, we never did as much as you know put an ad out or um you know do any marketing for it right it's all just been um musicians being genuinely interested in kind of talking about it amongst them, their friends you know they, they really did come to us that that's a really interesting kind of story and and, and thank you very much for for sharing it with us i mean in, in a way it's it's almost a it's a classic tech story isn't it two friends meet in college uh, and then go on to to kind of work together i mean after all that's how companies like microsoft were founded as well uh, initially <laughs> uh and um it, it kind of just shows how how enthusiasm and and knowledge 
uh, and idealism kind of when they fuse together, they can create these kind of powerful, powerful platforms. Um, so I wish you wish you lots of luck. Uh, it sounds like it's a, a project that has has a lot more to to kind of give, and I hope that we might come back to you in a while and just just catch up again. But for the moment, thank you very much, Luke. Thank you very much, Daniel, for for talking about Minim. Okay, thank you. Our pleasure.